Powered by Riverside. What's going on? Episode 10. That's three in a row that I've gotten right. Live from the great state of North Carolina. Trev, it's good to see you in the flesh. Yeah, in person. Feels feels like this should start happening a little bit more often. Hopefully. Hopefully we can make this happen as much as possible. Listen, we have a busy night. Okay? Everyone has to understand that. It is not only episode 10. But it is also um, essentially opening night of college football. So although we don't report on college football or talk about it, we do view it. So yes, um, we got a lot to get to tonight before Penn State and Purdue kick off in about 40 minutes or so. Yeah. So and, tight squeeze in this schedule. And if, if we go longer than the time allotted that we have as I continue to ramble on um, – we just might lose you. <laughs> I might just have to carry the end of the show. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. And I understand that. Just beat Parker Washington the ball tonight, Nitty Lions. Um, so we talked last night. We, we talked a lot about um, Billy Ripken. Um, kind of a negative podcast. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I figured uh, we would talk about some, some nicer things tonight. Um, there's a lot to get to. Um, but... I think the place we should start is um, the Diamondbacks just took two or three from the Phillies who are in a playoff position in Arizona. Now, why is that significant? It didn't really affect where the Phillies are as far as standing-wise. They still hold the second wild card in the National League. However, on Tuesday night, uh, Zach Gallen went to the mound, uh, got plenty of run support against Aaron Nola. What looked like was going to be a good pitching matchup turned into a blowout. Diamondbacks win 12-3. Nola gets hit around, has one of his you know worst starts of the year, I'd say. Um, real quick, can you guess Philly fans' reactions on Twitter after Aaron Nola <laughs> lost to the Diamondbacks? Aaron Nola is not a big game pitcher. Yeah, I actually received a text. There was a text in a group chat that I'm in that said, we should just bet against Aaron Nola every start the rest of the year. Um, I don't think that's fair. We've talked about that. But on the other end, Zach Allen – Seven innings, two hits, one walk, seven strikeouts against a lineup that has been really hot of late. And Gallon is now 10 and 2 with a 2.53 ERA. Um, and this is a guy that I don't think gets due respect because of where he plays, mm-hmm. but he's been unbelievable. Yeah. Very good. I mean, talk about one of the. Could you argue most fair trades in MLB history? Jazz Chisholm for Zach Gallen. Um, you know, each guy is obviously turning into a superstar on their own. Um, but when you can roll out 34 straight innings of shutout ball um, and kind of just roll it against, you know, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't gotten the Dodgers in that run, but he's he's been on a pretty good stretch here, and it's not like the Phillies lineup with Bryce Harper back is a slouch. 
um, from any perspective. But, you know, I know at the beginning of the year, he, he kind of, I don't want to say scuffled a little. Um, I think that's a stretch, but he wasn't at his dominant self, I think is the best way to say it. And, you know, he's finally settled in. I know he had some health problems last year and it seems like he's a hundred percent healthy. He's feeling himself. He's feeling good. He's got such good command. I mean, he was kind of the, the, one of the most well-known pitchers that kind of learned himself with his high spin, high vertical move, fastball, and how to work at it at the top of the zone and command it good enough so that it gets the swings and misses. But guys, if guys take it and try to eliminate it, it's a strike still. And he just does such a good job with that and then works off of that so well. And he throws so many strikes that it's kind of just unhittable almost. And I think going back to the beginning of your point of how fair trade that was like when you look at the two teams, obviously the, the Diamondbacks and the Marlins are involved. The Diamondbacks are well behind, I would say, the Marlins as far as the rebuild goes. They're starting to get kind of the influx of position player talent up to the big leagues. Corbin Carroll made his debut this week. Um, Dalton Varsho has been up for a while. Um, but like the Diamondbacks have nothing when it comes to pitching. Yeah. Right. Like Gallon is it. And to make that move to get him. And then on the flip side, right, the Marlins have just young arm after young arm after a young arm. So to get a player like Jazz, who's electric and is going to be the face of the franchise position player, you know, as, as far as the position players go, um, it was huge. And like you just talk about just such a fair trade. A lot of times when we look back at trades like that, you, you there's a clear winner and a clear loser. Yeah. But in this sense, it worked out great for both teams. And then as far as Gallon goes, you talk about fastball spin, and people are probably tired of hearing us talk about that because we beat it into the ground. But, I mean, it's about understanding what you have, right? And then – what happens when you have such good command like Zach Allen does? If you go look at the guys who are, you know, in the top tier of command in the league, you know what else? I believe they're probably in the top tier of all of them. And you look at Gallon's perfect example is chase rate, mm-hmm. right? Because when you're constantly filling the zone, especially with your fastball, and but you can also throw your other pitches, you know, if he's if he's you know if the cutter's in the zone, if he can drop the curveball in, you know, then he can start you know showing you change up off the plate. And the chain guys are going to tend to swing because this guy's been in the zone. He's been attacking me all day. He hasn't allowed me to breathe yet. So now when, you know, he does flip something and I'm, I'm in battle mode and it's off the plate, you know, he's spinning a curveball down. I'm going to have the tendency to chase. And you look at how he's put that together this year. Obviously, he's he's kind of been the only guy in that. I know it's like it would seem like, hey, there's no pressure pitching for, you know, the Diamondbacks because, you know, you're not going to sniff the postseason. But you still like you're seen as the guy. You're seen as the one guy. Like if we're gonna win a game this week, it's gonna be when Gallon goes to the mound. And I, I mean, he's just really come into his own this year, and it's uh, it's a lot of fun to watch because it's kind of a guy who had been, you know, there was a lot of expectation, and then you know he's kind of been derailed by injuries. He had a shoulder thing, and now he, he's he's pitching like one of the best pitchers in the league. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people think he has the potential to be that ace for the Diamondbacks moving forward. They do have that young core that you're talking about that's going to be very, very good for years to come. They've done such a good job drafting athleticism, I guess is the best way to describe it. They have athletes in their farm system from top to bottom. And having a guy that you know is going to head your your pitching staff for for years to come. I mean, he's, he's the kind of pitcher that 
you know, you just see this guy kind of figure it out and he carries it late because he has such good command and it doesn't rely on velo and it's not just all how elite his stuff is. And as long as he's able to throw that thing in the strike zone and understand how to use his stuff, it seems like he's going to be pretty darn dominant for years to come. Well, and I think I made a comment last night about how um, this is the good old days and you're seeing guys who offensively are just so dynamic, right? They do a, a a ton of different things and same thing on the mound, right? And Gallon's the perfect example of that, right? Yes, he has high fastball spin, but like you said, he doesn't do it with just elite stuff, right? He does it with command and understanding how to use his stuff. So he's kind of one of these guys who's now finding that avenue of, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to go out there and just throw diesel, right? Like I can't just go out there and, and live off 98 and, and two pitches, right? The Grom throws two pitches to the same side of the plate. And he feasts on the entire league doing it because he, you know, throws harder than anyone and his slider's harder than anyone. Well, Gallon can't go out there and do that, right? Gallon's actually probably in, in one of the, the softer throws when you get away from his fastball, right? He's, he's pretty average with fastball velocity, but then when you get away from his other stuff, he's like below average. And his curveball doesn't spin a ton, but he puts it where he wants it at all times and he understands how to work it. Okay, I have a high spin fastball. If I can place it where I want, it's going to have that hop and it's going to be harder to, for, for guys to get on playing with. And then I can work off of it. And then I'm going to I'm gonna show you a, a plus plus changeup, yeah. right? And, and what makes the changeup so good is that he doesn't, you know, and this goes a little bit against what I normally say of throw your best pitch the most. But what makes his changeup one of his better pitches is that he doesn't throw it too much because mm-hmm. then there's, there's that fine line too. Right, like, how can I maximize the changeup? Well, I'm going to show it 16 percent of the time, and I'm going to play it off of a fastball that is probably his best pitch. But he's yeah. going to play it off the fastball that's in the zone nonstop. So now the changeup becomes better because of how he can play the two together. And it's just a guy who's a younger guy who's really starting to understand how to maximize his arsenal and get outside at, at an outrageous clip. I mean, 34 consecutive scoreless innings in the big leagues is insane. In, in the NL West, too. I mean, I, I I would assume he's running to the at least the Padres through this stretch. I mean, if you're talking about Padres, Phils, and you know any really any other team at, at that point, that's that's some pretty impressive stuff. And you know, you made a couple good points, and and I did want to kind of talk about the fact of Zach Gallen's background, right? I mean, he wasn't a top prospect. He he was kind of this guy that came up late with the Marlins, where like when people were starting to finally understand movement profiles and pitch sequencing and all the things like that was when his prospect type started to really rise. And then he made his debut that year, pitched really well for the Marlins and then was gone. Um, And it's kind of crazy to think about from that perspective, because now in today's baseball, he would be probably a first round pick and a top, 50 prospect, but he was kind of caught in that, that change of player evaluation where there's like the old head, you know, kind of viewpoint of, oh, he doesn't throw hard enough. Well, the true value of an 80 grade fastball is not how hard it is. To be honest with you, with the movement that he gets, it's actually better that he's 92, 93, because then it's more deceptive to the eye and it plays up. You know, the the 100 mile per hour fastball is supposed to spin at high RPMs, whereas that lower it gets when it spins as much as it does, it gives the real deception to the hitter. And then you talk about the changeup. I mean, the probably the best changeup in baseball is Devin Williams, right? And, and 
not this year, last year, um, at the beginning of the year, there was talk that he threw his change up too much. And guys, I mean, I feel like he's never in the zone. I mean, I know it's crazy, yeah, but feels like and, but when he can, I, I mean, you watch a Devin Williams outing, if you ever watch him, it's like he gets into, he gets guys to a point where they spit on one really good change up that looked like a strike for a very long time. And then he just, sneaks 96 in on the corner and guys end up looking. So, you know, you think about that from that perspective, when it's a balance, when guys have to respect your fastball, it makes that change up that much more effective because when they tunnel that well and they look the same for so long, that's when you're getting the chases out of the zone on an elite change up, which is what Devin Williams does better than anybody. Yeah. Just, just one last thing about, about Gallon. Um, is when you look at the arsenal and what he's done, um, I think one of the biggest things to his success too is right when he got to Arizona, when you look at last year especially, they are kind of almost trying to make him a four-pitch guy, fastball, curveball, slider changeup, right? Because sliders, obviously, so many people are having such success on um, with sliders right now in the, in the game, and, and his slider just wasn't that good. And so what they do, they've pretty much cut the slider. They've added a cutter that he's kind of always thrown, but now he's using it a lot more. He used it a lot in 2020 when he had a pretty good year. And now he's using it a lot more this year. He's lessened the fastball usage a bit, and he's pretty much two-pitch, right? Again, it's it's like, okay, fastball, curveball, and then here comes cutter, here comes changeup. He's pretty much scrapped the slider. He's scrapped the sinker, and he's just he's sticking with those those primarily those four and what he can do now is with the located fastball spin, like we talked about, it's change up, it's curveball off of it. And then once in a while to a lefty, it's going to be cutter that, you know, gets into that dead zone that we talked about a little bit to a lefty. And what it's done for him, I think it's just helped the confidence grow because now he just feels like he can command anything in any count. And that's really what makes guys dangerous, right? Is when you have the confidence and the conviction of like any pitch, any count. I can come at you and I'm going to be successful. I mean, look at Scherzer, right? Scherzer has elite stuff, yes, but he also has that attitude of, okay, I can come at you in any count with any pitch and I know that I'm going to win. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, that that does, I mean, that's huge for guys. Yeah. Huge. Um, there's another guy I would like to talk about while we're on the pitching thing. And we, we you know, talking about young guys who kind of, have burst onto the scene a little bit this year. And Tristan McKenzie um, in Cleveland has been absolutely unbelievable. Now, he took a loss last night um, to the Orioles. He threw, he threw a decent game, not what he's been doing. But, you know, he's 9-11 on the year with a 3-1-8. And, man, he has gone on a run that has just been extremely impressive this year. And, you know, you, you kind of see him. He's, he's now age 25. And he's an interesting kind of case because you look at some of his, you know, his peripheral stuff and he's not like it's it's almost one of those things like what is making him so successful, right? Because other than the fact that he's 6'5 and it just looks like all limbs coming at you, it's not like he stays off barrels. It's not like he doesn't get hit hard at times, but he's just found a way of late to get really sick, to become really successful. And it's it, I think it's it's a guy who's extremely interesting, but it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, Tristan McKenzie is kind of like, I would almost consider him an enigma um, because he dealt with so many injuries through the minor leagues. And then, you know, I mean, next thing you know, he's pitching in the big leagues and he kind of came out like a like a rocket. Yep. You know, he was debuted and he was electric and he was getting swings and misses and the fastball was elite and and just so much. And like you said, he's he's all limbs, all 100, 
10 pounds of them coming at you from six foot five. It's like, it's like trying to hit off of a long tree mm-hmm. basically. And like you're, you're hitting a ball off a tree branch and um, you know, and then he kind of scuffled there. I think people started to figure him out. People started to kind of understand what he was doing and, and he kind of had to reinvent himself. I mean, there was a stretch at the beginning of this year where I was like, he's a reliever. Yep. You know, he's going to have to make a switch. There's going to be a point here where, where he can't, he can't hack it at, at, at this level as a starter going through the lineup three times or even two, um, you know, he's going to have to blow it out in short stints. I know he dealt with some injuries, but man, I mean, it, he, he went on a stretch here recently where he, he's been uh, pretty darn good and, and he's been dominant in, in waves and, and he's done a really good job and, and the swing and miss is still there. And, you know, it's just a matter of him starting to learn himself, which it seems like he's doing. Yeah, and I mean, he was doing things that you really hadn't seen either during the stretch, too. Like, he, he went out for one start and punched out 14 against the yeah. White Sox. I mean, it was just like, these are things that we haven't seen. Are we finally getting the full potential of Tristan McKenzie? And I think the change that you were talking about did happen. I think, again, so much. It, it, it's so funny because anytime you talk about pitchers, it almost feels redundant because you're like, you can always go back and almost find the moment. Yeah. And you can start to look at it. And it's like, well, what did they do differently? Oh, they just changed their pitch usage. Right. There's so many examples of it. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, who's a guy that we should probably talk about and go to St. Louis and it's like, okay, we'll stop throwing the sinker and let's just, let's ride four seamers. Right. We talked about Andrew Heaney a little bit with that last night. He goes to LA and he starts using fastballs. Well, Tristan McKenzie, right. It's, he started throwing the curveball so much more. And on surface level, you look at it, it's not a curveball with a ton of spin. Right. When you think of the great overhand right handed curveballs, right. Like Adam Wainwright especially back in his prime when it was just like it it tumbled on you Mm -hmm. and it was almost like it was a bowling ball and McKenzie's doesn't do that but what it does do is because of the fact that he the extension he gets from the mound Mm -hmm. right and because he's so long and he almost I mean again limbs coming at you when you throw anything that spins it's going to be tough for guys to see and his curveball especially because he does still get that 12-6 movement on it when it's coming at you and it, it, he's got the extension where it looks like he's throwing it from right in front of you, it makes it really hard for guys to pick up on it. And he started throwing it a bunch more, and you just kind of saw that moment happen where he started to get the feel for it. He's commanding it now, and that's primarily what he's going to attack you with. He, you know he's going to be forcing fastball, right? That's what he's going to pitch off of. And then it's just going to be steady diet of curveball, steady diet of curveball. Sometimes he misses with it. That's what he threw to Gunnar Henderson last night that got hit out of the park. And that's going to happen. But still, I just think that mix with him and, and you referring to him as an, as an enigma, I think is a fair thing to say because of kind of what his arsenal is. And none of it plays as elite. But it can be if he's if he's in one of these grooves where I think he's going to kind of be a streaky starter throughout the rest of his career, but to the point where it's it's a positive for Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, if he can kind of become that ace, I mean, they already have Bieber, but, you know, if he can, I mean, for them, it's really like domination and stretches for each of those guys. And that's what they kind of rely on is like each and every guy has like, their own stretch. And <clears throat> I know Bieber pitched really well. I think recently um, he, he kind of had a good stretch there for, for a little bit and, and dominated in stretches, but you know, Tristan McKenzie can be that guy. And even Aaron Savali's pitching a lot better right now. And, and you talk about, and that's what I thought of when you said that 12, six curveball is just, I mean, you think about it and 
And it's just so hard to barrel that pitch because of how much it moves. It doesn't matter how fast it is. It doesn't matter how, you know, much it like it tunnels, but just in terms of being able to barrel and effectively put a 12-6 curveball in play with authority is so hard. Like even Aaron Savali, who throws a tight one, he's pitching to a 5-5 this year, which is not good. <laughs> like he, when he starts throwing that thing in the strike zone and hitters start having to respect it and have to swing at it, there is a lot of soft contact. I mean, when these pitches move as much as they do, and Tristan McKenzie kind of does the same thing, it's just hard to barrel. Like there's no other way to describe it. Like it's hard to get in the air. It's hard to get under it perfectly. It's hard to be on time for it, especially when you start factoring in how tight they can be and, and how much they move with that. And some guys throw it 85, 86 and you're like, holy crap, this thing's getting on me quick. It's moving a whole three feet. It feels like it starts at my eye. I feel like I'm taking it and then I'm chasing at my shoelaces you know and these guys i mean it's credit to these guys that they can kind of even control it i mean it's with how much it moves but you know 12 6 curveballs i mean they're just hard to barrel just flat out hard to barrel yeah and again i think what makes mckenzie's even better is the extension that he gets when it feels like he's throwing it from you know halfway in between the mound and the plate at release point and then it's it's you know it's almost coming from above you yeah and it moves so much later. Right. And now it's in the zone. It's like this is, it's hard to put in play. But when you, when you think about just the successful curveballs, like think about Wainwright, right? And Wainwright, as he's gotten older and he's lost velocity a little bit, that's what he's done is he's been able to make you respect the curveball and make you almost have to sit on it at times. And now when he's throwing an 87 mile an hour cutter as his, as his other pitch, it's, it's hard and he's putting it where he wants. And you think of a guy like Charlie Morton, who's one of those guys who can, spin it really tight and it comes from a funky angle, but he gets just so much tumble on it. And that really helped him when he got to um, Houston and Tampa was like, he kind of changed his career by going four seam and that 12, six curveball. And because of, of he's coming from a low slot with it too, which makes it even and tougher. And it spins so tight. And again, when you could, when you start to see these guys really put it together and figure it out and put these stretches together, right. And you talk about Cleveland staff. You talk about Savali having a stretch and McKenzie and then Cal Quantrill, right? It's another guy. Yeah. It's like, well, what are they doing? And a lot of them, most of the time, is okay. They've, they've learned how to manipulate the strike zone and get, you know, and dictate at bats. Because that's what hitters are trying to do, right? What makes Juan Soto so great and, and Bryce Harper and, you know, the top players, Aaron Judge right now. It's like they're dictating their at bats, right? They mm-hmm. go up there, they know what they want to hit, they know what they can hit, and, and they don't, they don't res- miss it. Right, right, and they don't miss it, and then they don't respect, you know, they know they can go up every any given night and, and see a guy's repertoire and go, okay, I don't have to respect this. So then, you know, now we're not chasing. But when pitchers get on a roll, they dictate the at bats, right? They say, okay, I can give you this pitch for a strike to start off OO, and then I can get you to almost, I want you to swing at this pitch. Yeah. And they understand how to to, to um, get to that point to go, okay, this is the pitch I want you to swing at it, and this is how I'm going to arrive at that point, whether it's pairing fastball, curveball, or, you know, running something in and getting slider off of it or, or being DeGrom where, you know, you get a little bit of arm side run back on a fastball to your glove side, and then you throw slider off of it, and guys are just wailing, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. And when guys really put it together, that's kind of what they're doing. And, and, and some of these guys like Gallon and McKenzie and, and um, Jordan Montgomery, they, like that is what you're seeing when every time you watch them pitch. I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. There's no doubt. And, I mean, I think for me, like, to, just to see 
the the Yankee trade for Montgomery, right? Like when it goes down, everyone's like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense, right? Okay, the Yankees need an outfielder. Maybe they don't need a pitcher. Montgomery kind of – they've never really shown that they've trusted him in how they've used used them, right? They've, they've run him out there out of the bullpen in postseasons. They've, they've started him, um, you know, throughout regular seasons, and he's pitched – you know, he's picked up some innings for them that they've needed. But then he gets to St. Louis, and, man, he's just transformed – Everything you thought of Jordan Montgomery, and I know he ran into a tough start last weekend uh, against the Braves, but who doesn't? Um, but I mean, what you think of Jordan Montgomery, and it's funny because you look at his baseball savant and it's like, okay, in the last two times I've watched him throw, that is not at all what I've seen him do. Because they've just, you know, St. Louis, who always has done a good job with pitchers, has just completely flipped what he's done to make him successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and that's what's what bothers me. And I mean, we I, I sent you a podcast today, and and it was Mark DeRosa with uh, CC Sabathia, and you know we both listened to it, and you know they were talking about the Jordan Montgomery trade, and and a lot of people are like, uh, people are forgetting how good Jordan Montgomery was with the Yankees, yes. and what worries me more about that trade from a Yankee standpoint is the fact that you have the resources and you have this really good pitching coach and you have this really good player development system and you didn't figure that out. That's what would bother me more. And then you see Frankie Montas, me and you obviously talked about it for a while if we thought he was going to come in and, and do some really good things. And now I'm starting to wonder if it's Frank and Frankie Montas that wants to throw the sinker. Now I'm starting to right. wonder if it's Matt Blank feels comfortable with sinkers. Maybe they're trying to find a balance now with like, hey, runner on first. We're still seeing a lot of ground balls with your sinkers. So let's get the double play, but swing and miss with the four seam in the split, which it seemed like he did last outing. And Otani had a two run home run on a splitter. Okay. Like, at his shoelaces, at right. his and like, which is it has not happened to Frankie Montas that much, and and that's what worries me is in my mind when those trades happened, I thought the Yankees were going to make Frankie Montas an ace, and I thought they got rid of a guy who was not close to his ceiling. When you lose a guy and then you start to see him pop and Jordan Montgomery become the pitcher that he's been for the last couple you know weeks since the trade deadline. As the Yankees, I would sit there and just be worried about what happened. What did we miss? What is he doing? Because I don't think it's a spin rate thing. I don't think it's a vertical move thing. I don't think it's a, a vertical approach angle thing. I think it's just extension and deception and the ability of him to pound the strike zone with it that the Cardinals were almost took the analytics and said, well, his sinker might move better, but his fastball plays better. And it, I, and again, I don't know. That's just my theory. I haven't, crunk, I haven't really looked at the numbers a ton, but that's what would worry me that Frankie Montas coming from arguably the worst pitching organization in the, in the MLB gets worse. And then Jordan Montgomery goes from your organization and gets better. And that's, you know, credit to the Cardinals because that that's the work that they've done and they've done it for years. But if you're the Yankees, you shouldn't be calling for Cashman's head because of the trades he made. You should be calling for whatever happened in in pinstripes that Jordan Montgomery wasn't using the fastball as much as he is. Have we given too much credit to to Matt Blake and what it what the Yankees pitching staff has done? Because I think when you for me it's tough a little bit when 
we sit on the outside, right? And a lot of what we do is just trying to watch and understand from, you know, taking the knowledge we have and trying to make educated guesses about it, right? Because neither one of us are having those conversations with these guys. We don't yeah. know what's actually being told, right? We we know some minor leaguers and know what's going on at the bottom of some of these organizations, but we don't understand really what's going on at the big league level. And so I, have we given them too much credit then? Because if you look at it, like I could also point to Luis Severino, who I know he's dealt with a lot of injuries and, and he's had some injury luck, but he hasn't really gotten better. Garrett Cole, I wouldn't say he's gotten better since he's become a Yankee. Have we given them too much credit? Or is it one of those things where hey, Montas is going to regress to the mean a little bit of who he is, right? He's better than what he's pitched since he's gotten yes. to New York. He went yeah. from an organization where, you know, it was kind of one of those things where he was never a part of those ace teams that were winning. He's come up and it's, he's been on a bad team, and now he gets traded into the middle of a postseason racing as to be an ace. So is it like, are are we giving the Yankees too much credit? Is Montas just maybe going through some things and he's yeah. going to come out of it, or what? And and we don't really know. Yeah, and I, I don't know how you answer that question. I think uh, you know I. I think to start with the Montas stuff, I think he was coming off an injury. The A's rushed him back to make sure because uh, opposing MLB teams wanted to see that he was healthy. And Montas is like, I don't want to be stuck in Oakland right. for the second half of this year. You Get me say. out of here. So you mean I don't have to go to a rehab assignment now and I can just come pitch three innings, flash a 98-99 and everybody's going to trade right. for me? Okay, so his stuff coming out of there didn't play as well because I don't think he was 100% healthy. healthy. He was going through the – you know, he's not Jacob deGrom. He doesn't roll out of bed and pop you know, swing and miss rates at 50% what it feels like. So I think Montas is getting better. And even the start against the Angels, I know he went six, seven and gave up four earned runs, but it was, he was sharp. He had 16 swings and misses. His splitter, he's starting to command a little better. And, you know, think about Frankie Montas. If he doesn't have command of his splitter, he's not going to be good. I mean, his splitter changed his career, right? And, and that's what people forget about him is that, you know, when he started, when he learned the splitter, I mean, he learned the splitter at the big league level and it became the elite pitch that it is. So from that standpoint, no, I I, I just think it's a, uh, circumstances. And, and obviously Harrison Bader not playing doesn't help at all with what it looks like, but they, you know, the Yankees Cashman made a conceded effort to get more athletic and better defensively. And he wants guys who can run the bases as well, which is what Harrison Bader offered to build off the Matt Blake point to get back to your original question. I think it's yes and no. Like I think as a, as from a player development and a coaching standpoint, you know, I think you would say this, I would say this, like there's a niche that you think you have, Right. right? I work, from a hitting perspective, you give me a guy with swing and miss and allow me to get to the point where we can work, we can practice, and we can put them in a position to maybe – I'm not going to turn a guy into an elite contact hitter, but I believe that I can make that guy put more balls in play, help him with his approach, and tap into you know his legit power. Those are the guys that I've had success with. I'm sure there's a pitching type of fastball profile, a breaking ball profile, whatever it is that you feel like you have type, you know, success with, or even if it's just building, you know, I know you had a lot of success building a slider with, with a pitcher that, that you worked with for years. And it's just the little things like that. So I think Matt Blake's niche is sinkers because you look at Clay Holmes, you look at 
um, Nestor Cortez, the cutter sinker combo. I think that's what Matt Blake believes. He believes, like we talked about, if guys are getting on plane with four seam fastballs, guess what happens? They hit, get hit for homers. Right. He wants to get guys that can do both, right? Get off plane and get east west, right? And I think that's something that I I would guess with Frankie Montas is you do east west really well with your sinker. And we need to get you to command it better, which is all Clay Holmes did, right? right? Clay Holmes just started commanding to the arm side, and it just opened up the world for him. And I think Matt Blake thought that he could tap into that. And again, this is all theorizing. You know, we, I am not on the phone with Matt right. Blake. Matt Blake, if you want to call me and tell me to eat crow, to, yeah. I would love to have you That'd on the awesome. pod. <laughs> um, but – from my perspective, it seems like that's his niche, and it took me a while because I don't watch the Yankees every day to realize that. But you know, I do believe that that's what he's doing. But he also has to understand that, statistically speaking, it's the same thing as Jordan Montgomery. Like, hey, you get East West really well, but statistically speaking, your forcing fastball is really good, and it w- plays better with your stuff. I mean, look at Garrett. Like Frankie Montas should be doing something more similar to Garrett Cole with that four seam splitter right. off of it. So again, I know this is all theory, and we're just kind of taking educated guesses. At this, but my only issue is that is when you get to the big league level, it has to be less about okay, what can you coach and make better as a pitching coach. And because these guys are so good, right? And because so many of these guys are so in tune with themselves, it has to be more of how can we make you successful, yeah. right? So it doesn't need to be – I don't need to be able to teach you, hey, East-West, and if, if guys are getting – and we're scared of the forcing guys getting on playing with it, like that's great if that's what you do. Nestor, that's great. Cutter, sinker, he can do that. That's what he does. Nestor would not be able to play with a fastball up in the zone. No. When you get a guy like, like Montas and you had Montgomery for four or five years, like – at some point, it's like, well, how can't we get Gumby to, to throw the fastball up in the zone and be successful? Why can't we get – and again, I think Montas, to me, the answer to my own question was Montas is going to come back to being who Frankie is. I think you hit the nail on the head where Even he was injured. Right. And then he was injured in an offseason right. and a spring training with them. Yeah. He was injured and we rushed him back. And, and that's kind of what he ran into. Um, real quick before we get out of here, um, what's the end of the episode? Like I promised, we're now into September. I'm going to give you a playoff team. Tell me, you know, what they have to do to improve their chances to get in. And then once they're in, what makes them dangerous? Here's a team who doesn't need to do much to improve. But what makes them so dangerous when they get get in? Tonight we'll go with the Braves. Did you say Penn State? I think they have to run the ball. <laughs> the, the offensive line needs is longer, more athletic. They need to dominate the interior. Now, uh, quickly onto the Braves. Um, you know, just that I, I just genuinely believe, and I know I, we had this conversation and after the Mets beat them in the five game series, and this team is better than the team that won the World Series. And I really don't think it's it's a debate. I, I think whether you want to say on paper, wh- whatever you want to say, I believe this team, this lineup is better. Yes, you lost Freddie Freeman, but Matt Olson has 30 pumps and 5,000 doubles. Like, just put that into perspective, what he's bringing to the table. Is he hitting 315 like um, 
Freddie Freeman is and Freddie Freeman has done. No, but that's what Ronald Acuna is for. That's what Ozzie Albies is for. That's what these superstars, Austin Riley is for. Matt Olson was not brought in to be Freddie Freeman. He was brought in to be a complimentary piece to so many superstars. And everybody in the Braves organization knew that Michael Harris was a superstar. I mean, we right. are talking about a superstar playing center field. And that he replaced, no one knew but them. Nobody knew but them. And right. you know who he replaced? Christian Pache. Who is what everyone around baseball thought was going to be the superstar. It turns out to be Michael Harris. Well, even – and right. like, yeah, he's hitting a buck 57 in, right. in Oakland. And he's playing great defense, but he's no, he's no different than, you know – uh, just Roman right. Quinn at the end of the we day. Stop like, talking yeah, like we've spent, we spent too much time <laughs> talking about Roman Quinn, but and like just the ability to get rid of Marcelo Zuna and put Vaughn Grissom in left field when Ozzy Albies comes back and just like you get better, you get more athletic, you get better. I mean, that outfield defense, like I know this is not what people talk about with the Braves, but you have Vaughn Grisham, like watch that kid run around. Right. You're telling me he's not going to play an elite left field. Michael Harris is as good as Christian Pache in center field defensively. And then a center fielder by training. Center fielder by training, right field, uh, getting after it with a hose. And like, where is the hole in this team? Where is the hole in their lineup? You can argue that their least productive position is catcher, obviously. But I mean, like Darno's, in, I mean, across, Darno's the, a, done a great job. For done them. a and great job for me. For me, real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Um, if there is a hole, it's going to be maybe one starter short. Just when you look yeah. at the arms that they're going to have to face to get to the World Series, they might be one starter short. And then the bullpen has concerns too. And last year you made the run with Will Smith, all those scoreless outings. And obviously the, the Will Smith that we've seen this year is kind of the Will Smith that I think was is the, the real one. So what they're going to do, you know, Kenley Jansen's kind of been hot. Cody hasn't been as good of late. Like So, so that's where, to me, I would be a little concerned. But as far as the, the lineup goes, you're spot on. Do you want to give a we are before we get out of here? Of course. We are. <laughs>